Welcome to Securitas Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 61 for uh, Monday, October 31st, 2011. It's Halloween. Halloween! I am Bill Wadman. And I am Dan Gottesman. And we have a guest once again coming back for uh, a second... Visit. Visit? Yeah. Okay. I'm Michael Osman. Yes. There he is. There he is. Mike Osman from Colorado. Now, the reason why we brought Mike on again is not only because he's a genius, not only because he's from Colorado, uh, but because people asked us to talk about security some more. And uh, so we brought Mike on because he is a security expert, among other things. Um, So initially, when somebody wrote us, they said, you know, things like, say, Facebook privacy notifications and and the, the, uh, what what are those things called? Privacy policy? All yeah. these different websites just keep changing the rules, as it were. Mm-hmm. So how do you how how to be public because you want to be public? The whole point is, you know, about interacting with other people. But how do you do that in a way that's at all safe? Because the more you let out, the more you know uh, you get yourself in trouble for identity theft, that kind of stuff. I mean, is there anything? Is there this is a more philosophical question and then we'll get into more specific stuff, but like, is there a way to be public and private at the same time? You know, I think there is, there are all sorts of technologies that we use that are, that are more private than others. Like mm-hmm. your email is probably more private than your Facebook and people of all ages and all, you know, uh, levels of internet savviness use these different technologies in different cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, do, do, wait, do, do you share a lot of stuff on, on social networks? A little. Uh, I use Twitter. Okay. Um, I do not use Facebook or anything of that sort. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't have a Google account either, though, do you, Mike? No. I well, mean, I guess you, you, you I, have that, like a basic one for, for your blog, but that's about it. That's it, right. Yeah. You don't use it for email or calendaring or any of the other deeper services. Because no. you just like other services or because you don't like having your stuff on Google? Because I don't like having my stuff on Google. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's funny because we've talked about this before on the show in that there are some companies where I trust them more than others and for no really good reason. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, I, I trust Google much more than I say trust Facebook or even trust... I I, don't, I trust Google more than I trust Apple. I know? used to trust Google more. What what changed your mind? Um, I guess it was the pro- proliferation of services over the years and and the fact that they were obviously aggregating a lot of data on everybody. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard the kind of common saying these days um people say if if you aren't paying for it you're the product yes of course yeah that's a good concept now well here here's the question though like if it's all anonymous data you know there is this person we don't know his name whatever it is who likes you know rc cars and bluetooth adapters and so those are the ads we're going to sell him yeah but it's not anonymous yeah I mean, there's so, nothing. There's nothing anonymous about data once you aggregate it with a lot of other data. 
Okay, so what 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 is your worst fear about what somebody's going to do with this data? I guess like what's my, the nightmare scenario? The nightmare scenario is um, that my data gets handed over to somebody else without my knowledge, like your email, for instance. Right, yeah. like um, I happen to be a you know a pretty big believer in. Uh, in the fourth amendment sure and i don't like the idea of government agencies just you know rifling through my email on a whim without me knowing about it okay well where do you host your email i use um an email uh, server that is provided to me by an isp now is that actually any safer couldn't the feds go to the isp and just force them to give it over they could, but it wouldn't be all my data. You know, it wouldn't okay, be all of sure. this data aggregated from a million different sources. It would be just my email. Yeah. I mean, and, even like, even the email though, you could, I mean, one could say run their own email server. Sure. You know, but then email 99.9% .9 of it's unencrypted anyway. So while it's going over the net, it's wide open for capture somewhere. Right. Although you know, so, I, I do... Mean, I do use encryption on email sometimes. Mm. How many people do you write back and forth with that actually encrypt? What do you use, PGP? Yeah, I use PGP. Um, only, only a few. Yeah, not, not See, very I love many. the idea. I just, it's just not easy enough for the average person. I guess is the problem. Right. Or, I, or I agree people with don't that. care. You know, I don't. It's probably safe to say that also Mike, you know, communicates like the the sort of folk that Mike communicates with on a regular basis are more security conscious than the sort of folk that we communicate with are the kind of people who would use PGP. Right. That's true. Yeah. 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 A, a pretty large number of my email contacts do use PGP on occasion. Okay. If not all the time. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that no one's ever come up with a, there, there hasn't been a encrypted email standard. It's like, don't you seal your envelopes or do you send all of your regular mail via postcard where everyone can read it on route? Right. Uh, right. Which is essentially what's happening, right? Oh, absolutely. So, see, I just go back and forth. But then there's some people who would say, okay, yeah, you could you could have your email and your ISP, and you could have this over at this other place. And But then you're losing the advantage of having those integrated. Maybe. You know? like, but I don't know how there, great an advantage that is. Okay. Mm. Mike's old school, Dan. I know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, I have... Uh, He's like, Within I use the a last text-only browser. <laughs> I, I actually do a lot of the time. <laughs> he does that. <laughs> and, uh, and I definitely use a text-only email client. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Wait, what do you use for your email client? I use Mutt. Mutt? Mutt. I've never even heard of Mutt. Mutt. Look it up. <laughs> is their it slogan one or is, two Ts? Their slogan is, all email clients suck. Mutt sucks less. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh, that's pretty genius. Oh, is that's it, funny. Is it one or two T's? Two T's. Two T's. Nice. Yes. So, okay. Well, you know, I guess the, the, my fear is that by remaining in what say I do is as a photographer, I feel like I have to sort of be out there. Right. And, and, and findable all the time. Right. By people who don't use PGP, hmm. uh, 
for example, this last week, some guy put me on a list of photographers that he likes. And I now have more followers on Google Plus than I do on Twitter. Huh. Like, instantly. I got, like, 1,200 followers in a day. Wow. Um, Yikes. Yeah. And, and, and I don't like that because, you know, I don't, I don't like these social networks except as a broadcast medium for me. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not really interacting with people by putting up pictures of my Halloween costume if I was going to wear one. Right. Uh, but I also feel like I can't not be on there because there are people that I'll meet out and it'll be like, oh, you should add me on Facebook. So then I could get your contact information if I ever need it because it's on there on your info page, you know. And that's exactly um, why I do use Twitter, but I don't use any of the other social networking sites uh, because for me, Twitter is very straightforward. Everything is public. Um, I don't put things on Twitter that I don't intend to be 100% public. But yeah. it is a way to, to maintain those contacts and, and have a way to to get information out to a bunch of people who are interested in what I do uh, in a hurry in small doses. Yeah. Well, again, I think you are lucky in that the people who are interested in what you do are the kind of people who can find you. And, That's true. You know, who who are are probably as as obsessive as you are about such things. It's true. Or, and there's, there's also a, a a niche factor as well. Uh, yeah. You know, Mike. Mike is you know, if you compare the number of guys who do what Mike does to the number of photographers out there, that's a pretty stark, yeah, uh, difference. A vast yeah. difference. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Now, let me ask you: you you use a smartphone or no? I do. Uh, only what recently. Of, what kind of smartphone? I got an Android. Okay. And ha- are you using, a, have you put a, a a modded ROM on there or have you I haven't modded yet. it in any way? Okay. Uh, do it's you something plan to? that I do plan to. Uh, it's just, it just hasn't been high on my priorities and it was a recent acquisition. Now, do you trust the, the base Android software from a security point of view? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but there have to be people in the security world who are going through. I mean, the source code's open. So, like, you would think that there are people who are going through it. Yeah, but, but um, I mean, what, I, what I'm more distrustful of is, is the particular build that's been given to me by my provider. Right. Yeah, which is why I figured you would have wiped it and put on a nice, clean, you know. I certainly will. Install. Yeah. yeah. I've just been really busy since I got that phone, and I haven't really <laughs> done a whole lot with it other than install, like, two apps. Do you use a, a lock pattern? Uh, I actually have a phone that has a fingerprint reader for unlocking. Really? Mm-hmm. What kind of phone do you get? It's a Motorola Atrix. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's on the back, the, the fingerprint thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually the power button is also doubles as a fingerprint reader. And it's, it's pretty accurate? It is. It is. I mean, sometimes it takes a little bit of practice. The first, you know, few days, I'd have to swipe my finger three times every time I wanted to unlock it, which is a little annoying. But um, with a little practice, I get it most of the time on the first swipe. There was a uh, article in the New York Times the other day about people snatching iPhones in the city because apparently that's you know, kid runs by, he just grabs it and starts running. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's other people who put Dan. You put your contact info. On your lock screen, don't you? Uh, yeah, I have. I have sort of an old school ghetto style 
uh, security system, I guess you could say, where I have made the background image or desktop image, whatever you call it, the, you know, the, I guess, yeah, like you say, there's the lock screen image and then there's your desktop. That's something you can, you can have two different pictures uh, yeah. on an iPhone. And so I t- I just took one of my favorite pictures of mine and went into Photoshop and dropped in two lines of text that basically say, uh, if found, please contact uh, me at my email address. Yeah, it's good and idea. it's just yeah, it's just sitting there. You know, it's literally just just an image. You know, and I positioned it so that it's not obstructed by the by the interface. And now, uh, you know, I'm just I, never it's never I've never had to use it, but that's that's how I've been doing it for a long time. But I've heard horror stories where people find an iPhone in the back of a cab or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and the cabbies drop them, you know, or turn them off instantly, pop the battery out, turn it off if they can, mm-hmm. so that you can't use say find my iPhone. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then take them down someplace where, you know, they get brought inside a Faraday cage and wiped and sold. Sure. You know, I, I, mean, um, I believe that it's just it's just crazy. It's like th- they want you to think, oh, if you lose your phone, you could just use this thing and find it. But people who really are trying to keep it from you can keep it from you regardless. True. Yeah. You know, uh, so are those things actually useful or are they just is that a is that a uh, a, a blanket? to make people feel better. <laughs> I think the latter. Well, I don't yeah. I mean, you're let's just, just define the word useful for a second. I mean, there are more than one there's, you know, you're you're assuming the worst case scenario, Bill. You're assuming that that there's someone nefarious. Wait, wait, hold on a second. I'm I'm assuming the worst case scenario. Mike over there <laughs> keeps his email on like a personal server in nah, his basement or something. We're talking about the <laughs> the find my iPhone feature specifically i'm assuming or or i'm yeah. sure android has no, something similar kidding. but you guys yeah, know what i'm do. talking about yeah. um i in fact i would i would gather if you that, leave it at your friend's house or yeah, a restaurant or you lose sure. it in the couch or it's somewhere you know did yeah. i leave it at work or where the hell is yeah. you know where the hell is it right. um for that kind of stuff it's i would imagine it's pretty useful um but well, you know whatever well you know the location thing is interesting now because they just put on one of those sort of google latitude kind of things mike uh, called find my friends where oh, you could right. like su- subscribe to where your friends are, and my sister is currently driving across the country hmm. from Austin, Texas, to Virginia on a move, and I can find out exactly where she is in Kentucky right now mm-hmm. by looking at my phone. But there, let's let's be honest about this though. You guys had to give each other permission. Yeah, for that. you did, but you know what? The government doesn't need permission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't they need permission? Don't they need a warrant or something like that? Well, you would think. <laughs> that see now yeah what is the latest with that because it seems like the rules keep changing or or there are rules but no one follows them that's more m- more accurate i think there have been all all sorts stuff? of i'm sorry so go ahead I'm, i didn't mean to cut you off uh, well there there have been all sorts of uh exceptions you know to the fourth amendment and more and more of them and we don't even know about all of them yeah Mm. I mean, the, the most the most famous being uh, things in the Patriot Act. Mm. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, but do you do you I mean, it seems like even though some of the laws say, oh, you need to get a warrant from a judge except under very extraordinary circumstances. But then it seems like every circumstance is extraordinary. Right. Right. You know, it's exactly. those kinds of things. So how do you protect from those things? You know, and how do you trust that a judge isn't just going to rubber stamp stuff? Right, and and be uh, even worse than judges rubber stamping things are cases where judges aren't even consulted. 
which there are more and more of. But one, for example, is email. Um, I can't cite a source, but I heard somewhere that uh, that for the government to snoop on your email, um, that if it's newer than six months, they have to go through some kind of a process. But if it's email that's been sitting around on the server for more than six months, there's some sort of rule that says, well, that's sort of abandoned email and they can just look at it whenever they want to. Which is just insane. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think that that is a matter of government people knowing they're getting away with something or people in the government who are, for lack of a better word, stupid and don't understand how things work in the real world and how people use technology? Well, I think the the vast majority of the people who are in those positions um, investigating things are, um, you know, they they feel very strongly that, that they are doing what has to be done to protect the public. Yeah. And I, I don't think that there are a lot of, you know, people in the government who are spying Nefarious. on us because they want to spy on us. Sure. They're, they're spying on us because they're, they genuinely feel they're, they're helping. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I don't necessarily agree with that, mm. yeah. but, but I don't think they're out to get me. You know? Yeah. They're not bad people. They're just, right. they disagree. They're, they're very vigilant people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you, all of our things, though, all of our phones that we keep in our pockets, they have GPS on them. They have Wi-Fi. They have Bluetooth. I mean, these are all different ways that people can get in from the outside without getting anywhere near your phone. Right. Uh, do you keep GPS turned on or do you turn it off when you're not using it? I don't use it. You just turn it off. I, it's been off since I've had the phone. Mike, well, I should also mention, I don't think Mike has his email uh, set up on his phone either. That's true. I don't. Interesting. That's, which seems that's something to me that, the biggest use of a, of a smartphone. Uh, you know, for me, when I got a smartphone, I, I got it. F- the main reason I got it was that, I mean, you know, as opposed to getting another feature phone, was right. because... I have a business where I am, you know, making some products and in the not too distant future, some of those products I want to actually work with a smartphone. So I got it partly, you know, more for development than I did actually to be a user of the thing. Ah, gotcha. Okay. That's fair. But I do use it for Twitter. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and you, you probably do a little web browsing from time to time as well, right? A little bit. I try to limit my web browsing on it, but sometimes if there's a link that somebody sent me, you know, in Twitter, for example, that looks interesting, I'll click on that. Also, uh, also for security concerns. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, you, I really don't trust the browser on the thing. <laughs> I okay, don't, I don't blame you there. Wait, do and you then, not trust the browser? Or do you not trust the carrier? Well, I don't trust either one. Okay. The the carrier, I I expect is going to be looking for opportunities to sell my data someday. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if they're not looking for opportunities, they're going to be handing over data to government entities. But the browser, I don't trust in that I think there are probably security holes that I don't know about. And I don't have the same kind of visibility and control over the the browser that came on this phone as I do on the browser on my laptop. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, I do things on my laptop, like, for example, if I want to go to a website that I find to be particularly um, uh, untrustworthy, mm-hmm. then I will do things like fire up a web browser inside a virtual machine that I'll later wipe or just create a new temporary user account uh, without going through the effort of setting up a virtual machine, but just create a, a new user account f- for that takes like one second uh, to get a fresh browser build that then I'll nuke after I'm done with it. Wow. I, I can't do that kind of thing on my smartphone. Right. And, not easily. And I understand what you're doing and I understand why you're doing it, but your average person, A, there's no way they're ever going to be able to do that. Right. No? And and as things get more and more about over the air and mobile and less and less about I have a clean line from an ISP that I trust, which is questionable in, in the beginning, uh, it seems like there's it's going to get harder and harder to maintain those sort of practices. I think you're right. Um, so is there, and, is there an answer to that, or are we just going to end up in this future where we're stuck in a corner and have to you know, set up a new connection for 30 minutes before we can check our email? <laughs> That's the big question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there is a very, very strong trend toward less privacy, uh, particularly for people who are less savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't see a trend toward a 100% loss of privacy. Even even kids, you know, who teenagers today who are, you know, who have heavily embraced Facebook and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, and other social networking services and who are sharing an unprecedented amount of personal information uh, compared to older generations... Mm-hmm. Even they have, uh, you know, there have been all sorts of cases where where people of those of that generation have been outraged by privacy violations. Sure. Uh, so, so they haven't lost the, the, their standards for privacy might be different, but they haven't lost privacy completely or the the value of privacy. Do you think that going future in our society that our our concept of privacy has to change in the sense that, for example, let's say uh, you're in high school and there's a picture of you, I don't know, smoking from a bong when you were 18 years old, right? And it's mm-hmm. on your Facebook. Somebody right. put a picture of you up, right? You're Michael Phelps. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. Uh, do you think, though, that there's a point at which in the future some prospective employer who sees that picture has to be able to mentally say, this is none of my business and has nothing to do with why I'm hiring this person. You know what I mean? That, that like, I think we're there already, that, but that those people have to, that they should or legally should say, you know what stuff I see that has nothing to do with what we're talking about is really none of my business. Even if I can see it, you know? Right. Well, there's, there's Uh, a judgment call there that, that people, that employers are already making. I mean, it's, it's commonplace already for potential employers to to uh you know just google their their applicants though i think it's illegal 
Oh, I don't. Th- I think it, because you, Heather, it's not illegal Heather to do that. It's, I think it's illegal to base to anything open, on it. to openly like say, "Oh, we're not going to hire you because of this." But yeah. whether or not they'll admit to that is a separate story. Right? Yeah, but I think that, like, uh, for example, my partner works at a is a uh, law recruiter at a big law firm, and she's like, "I can't Google or Facebook. I can't look anybody up. Like, if I do, I'm opening myself to all kinds of legal action from, you know, because." If they don't get chosen and they find out that you did look at their Facebook profile, they could say, oh, it's because you didn't like X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? So she's very careful. And I think people in her world are very careful not to cross that line because it's dangerous from a legal point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, now, whether or not she's extra crazy about it because she's in the legal profession, you know, and and more people are less scrupulous. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I go back and forth between the idea that. Uh, it's none of anybody. It's funny. I'm not worried about other people. I'm worried about uh, the government. <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better word, I'm, I'm about. I'm worried about people who have power, not about other commoners seeing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm not even actually worried that much about companies. I'm more worried about people who could say, "Oh, look, um, this political client just changed in this country, and you." We're at a rally for this leftist speaker, and right. therefore, you know, that's what I'm worried about. Right, mm-hmm. and that that's a very legitimate fear in that, you, you know, things may change. Uh, who, people who are in, con, in power may change. What their policies yeah. are may change. Uh, and those things can change fairly rapidly. Uh, and so a if we give a lot of power to a benevolent government— um, and then one day find that, oh, well, we don't agree with the government so much anymore or, you know, they've changed or we changed or something's changed, but they still have that power. Yeah. Uh, and they can go back and look at things. Uh, that, that, right. Right. That's, that's a, when that's, it gets scary. That's a real danger. Yeah. That is I mean, kind of scary, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. and But see, the thing is, is that what is the alternative other than not, for lack of a better term, getting on the superhighway in the beginning, you know? Because there isn't isn't there an advantage to being out there and interacting with people? I mean, isn't that where the world is going? Sure. So, I mean, how do you how do you give your average person? How do you give my mother the tools to be out there and be safe when I have a hard time explaining to her to install Chrome? You know, to install whatever what? uh, Chrome or a different browser. Ah. You know, like it's hard enough right. to get my mother to install another browser, let alone do any of the stuff you're talking about setting up virtual machines and and you know and a lot of these new browsers have like incognito mode and all those kinds of things that like don't accept cookies and you know mm-hmm. or you can install plugins that keep off cookies and and mess with your history and and drop ads and you know send them to a bit bucket somewhere sure um, right i mean are are those things worthwhile steps or is that just kidding ourselves think, that that actually helps i think they're worthwhile steps um, but I think we're kidding ourselves that we can get a majority of people using them. Yeah. Mm. And the other question is, if you get a majority of people using them, then the income of, say, Google goes down and then they don't want to give away the services anymore that people aren't going to pay for if they don't get them for free. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Um, speaking of all this, I have a question for Mike. Uh, I know that Mike happens to attend uh, various conferences and you know he participates in other 
interesting forums and gets to gets to see and talk to some really interesting people and stuff that you know that most folks don't even think about and given given that experience and perspective um what, what would mike what would you say um i guess is is one of the more scary or dangerous things that like as far as a security standpoint is is, is concerned um think you know something scary that's still that that actually also is relatively easy to prevent like what what's 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 one of the more common stories that you hear about oh this person didn't do this and then this happened to them you know that that sort of thing could could you, you want to scare people for halloween is that, is that the idea? <laughs> no, well, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious about what you think. Like the most, you know, the most uh, frequent doesn't have to be terribly dangerous, but what's what's like the most frequent um, exploit that that you know gets taken advantage of, and and then and then go ahead and and then follow that up with like what you know how would you how do you, how do you prevent it? Well, it's hard to know what exploits are more frequent than others, you know. Sure. Uh, it, with the exception of those that are um, perpetrated by automated software. When you have when you have a botnet that is um, you know, on thousands or even a million computers out in the internet and they all execute some kind of attack at the same time. Um, you know, that's obviously something that happens a lot. But for the most part, uh, those networks are being used, um, you know, for money-making activities like spamming, for example. Mm. And and there's also this whole economy um, uh, of, you know, botnets and who controls them and who builds them and who develops exploits for them and who uses them to for some kind of a money-making activity, whether it's stealing credit cards or uh, or spamming, and and the, all of these different different uh, niches, um, you know, one guy's good at developing exploits, but he doesn't actually control botnets and he doesn't actually use them to do anything. He just develops exploits and sells them, and so there's, a, there's this whole marketplace for all these different services. It's called hmm. Russia. <laughs> it is. A lot of it a lot of it is in Russia. Yeah. That makes sense. And and so if you want to just go by the most commonly uh the most common attacks, yeah. you have to consider those automated things. But I don't sure. think that those common attacks are really the scariest attacks. Okay. The, the the scarier attacks are the more targeted ones. Right, personal. Uh, like you guys probably heard of Stuxnet. Sure. Um which is actually a really impressive bit of kit. It is. It absolutely is. Um, and, and people were were looking at Stuxnet when when this kind of security research community first found Stuxnet. It took a while. It took several weeks of people analyzing it uh, before everybody sort of realized what it was mm-hmm. and what it was for and how well put together it was. Um. It, now, for for those who don't know, this is a uh, virus that was going around, right? But it didn't actually do anything to your average person's computer, or except for propagate itself, right? Uh, and then the, it turns out that it actually was affecting uh, uranium enrichment equipment in Iran. Right. Yeah. Right, and it's, it had a it pretty severe down impact. Centrifuges. <laughs> uh huh. 
Right. Yeah, that's so excellent. It had a huge impact on Iran's uh, nuclear program. So do you think, just as your personal opinion, you think it was a Israeli-U.S. joint effort? I think that's likely. Um, you know, I think most people think it was either the Israelis or or the Americans or both. Yeah. Hmm. And, and do you believe that it was the first big salvo in the cyber war to come? That is a terrible question. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that's because... a great question, but man, I I hate the word cyber war. I, I do too, but I'm just saying. Is, is, but is that is that where things are going? I guess is the question. Is that where it's it's not? People are not going to die. You're just going to set up things that disrupt their economy or or whatnot. You know. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. Um, the the. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a really really big unknown at this point. Well, I think yeah. also there's a lot of like Mike said. There's there's so much other stuff going on that that doesn't make it to the headlines. Sure. I mean, I've the heard, fact that that made it to the headlines, I thought was actually pretty impressive. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. heard some some pretty scary stories about uh, activity in China and Korea, where yeah. you know where these guys have some pretty tremendous resources, and you know their agendas aren't exactly in line with ours. You know. Sure. Yeah. It's true. Well, I mean, China is a good example, though, Mike, of a country where, I mean, talk about having a big brother checking your Internet stuff. Right. Um, (laughs) I mean, is is there is no bigger brother. Are there places in the world that actually have what you could argue is clean Internet connections? No. What about Sweden? Clean? I don't know. Well, you know what I'm saying? That like that. That you can you could trust that it's an open line that isn't being the problem is everybody you're talking to are in other countries where they are snooping so they're snooping Bingo. both directions well right. that and then, and then the fact That's, that there's, so you there's get also the echelon system going right and then there's also redundancy all over the place where you know like look at DNS I mean DNS is constantly being replicated all over the world all over the internet. Yeah. Right. For, and for and you may be using a DNS server that even if you're not being monitored directly, your DNS server might be right. Or the one that it's talking to might be right. There, everything's interconnected, and and from from one point on the internet, uh, some of what you do can be monitored from all sorts of other points on the internet. See, so there really the isn't such a thing as a clean network. Right. <laughs> well, there's there, so there's nowhere to go. I I mean, I, I guess we can make the analogy. Let's make a real world analogy. The analogy here is that. Um, in theory, as soon as you walk out your front door onto the street, technically anything can happen. Someone could theoretically walk up to you and stab you with a knife, True. or you could walk across the street and get hit by a speeding car. You right. know, th- there, there's there's always going to be some degree of, of risk. There's risk, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The real question is, uh, kind, of, kind of coming back around to the, the question I asked before, as far as the whole common sense, look both ways before you cross the street, um, maybe consider the neighborhood that you're in before and the time of day you know, before mm-hmm. you just walk out, um, th- you know, there's certain things that you can you can do uh, as a as a as an individual to uh, to minimize that risk or to to, to try to you know sure keep, keep nip it in the okay. bud. Well, well, Mike Mike said that the ad blocker stuff is a good idea. I think so. Yeah. Uh, of of the big say four or five browsers, is there one of them that you actually would recommend to your average user who actually wants to go to pages made with HTML5? <laughs> uh, I have no idea. 
I haven't. Uh, okay. I haven't looked at HTML5 at all, actually. Uh, I, I guess I haven't it, touched what it. Do you, what do you think of Firefox as far as security is concerned? I like Firefox. Okay. Um, I don't think it's inherently any more or less secure than any other browser. Um, but what I like about it is, in particular, the the plugins. Okay, sure. So the fact that I can run an ad blocker, I I run NoScript. Sure. Um, which See, now NoScript is a good example of something that, yeah, you can run, but there are many times where it's just going to drive you nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have, to, you, have to, you have to know how it works and how to control it in order for right. it to be useful to you. That is absolutely true. And even beyond NoScript, a potentially even more annoying plugin that I use is called Request Policy, um, which which is a plugin that prevents... A web page from loading content from another web server. Okay. Right. So you you download a page from, yeah. uh, you know, one one website like CNN.com, and it has some content on it, like a picture that comes from some other domain that's not sure. CNN.com. Oh man, that must be a nightmare. It it won't load that by default unless you go and say, okay, I I would like to accept content. F- coming from that other site when I'm viewing this site. Yeah. Um, and this is this is particularly uh, interesting when you look at the amount of dynamic content that comes from a, a lot of different places. Yeah, I was going to say, this is, that's the future, right? Is, is, right. Is load balancing in different servers and who knows how people are setting things up. Yeah. Well, and, and in particular, integrated social networking stuff, like all yeah. the little Facebooky links that you get in non-Facebook sites, right? Um, those all have the potential. Even if you're not a Facebook user, Facebook is tracking you every time right. you use a site that has those those dynamic Facebook links. And it sucks because you know what? For example, I use Facebook comments on my blog now, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nightmare from your point of view, right? Uh, but from my point of view, not only do people not have to set up their own login on my site to comment, you know, they're mm-hmm. almost everyone has a Facebook login. Um, but their comments then go up on their Facebook page so that all of their readers can now see my post. Right. You know? So you it's, get a it, big benefit for it. Yeah. For using which is that. The, right. the problem is, is that you're right. It's a, it's a terrible thing as far as privacy is concerned, but it's a very useful thing as far as the site owners are concerned, you know. Right. Or or the new Kindle tablet, the Fire, has that new browser. Have you read about this stuff at all? A little Silk. bit. Right. So and essentially, it's really it's, running off another server somewhere. Yeah, it's essentially aggregating all those streams you're talking about and then sending you one set of data as opposed to trying to pull it from 12 different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but theoretically, that means all of that stuff is going through their servers on the way. Right. The same thing so, with Siri. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Siri. Scary. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Well, hi, let me ask you a question. Uh, passwords. Do you Suck. use? Yes, they do. What is the answer? <laughs> I don't know. Um, do you use an aggregate? Do you use? I use um, LastPass. Okay. Uh, which you know keeps all of my data encrypted on a server. Like it, it gets encrypted locally, and then it goes up on the server, and they can't even get to it because it's you know it's one set of keys. Locally. That whole thing. Right. Um, and and 
for me, at least that way I can have different passwords for each thing and I don't have to have them written down or, in, you know what I mean? Like right. It, it does I do a, a similar thing. Right. Okay. I, I keep a, I just keep a plain text file with, with all my passwords in it that is encrypted. <laughs> and oh, I awesome. also use an, uh, I, I use a random password generator. Yes, of course. So, you know, most of the time, if I'm just going to some random website and I have to set up a username and password, most of the time I choose a password that is, you know, more than 20 random characters. Sure. Well, here, therein lies the problem there is that it seems like password, the accepted passwords on different systems, there's no standard. Right. Some say it has to be six, but it can't be more than 10. It has right. to be eight. It can't be more than 15. Yeah, it must you include can only a capital use letter and a number. Exactly. Yeah. And then others say you can't use anything but letters and numbers. And other ones say you require punctuation or, you know, another character. Yeah. It's just, it's maddeningly confusing and frustrating from the point of view of generating passwords. You know? It is. Is, is. You think somebody would have come up with a standard for that? Like, that everyone would have gotten together and be like, okay, this is what passwords are going to be. They're going to be up to 32 characters or whatever it is and, you know, and include all these different things. All They, they include the entire ASCII key set or whatever, you know. Right, um, right. Uh, but there's nothing like that. Well, there used to be or there were attempts at it, but they failed because because people uh, people didn't really understand password security and, and, and realizations were made over the years like, oh, what we what we thought was was a good practice before now looks awful <laughs> oh, um, okay and and like even even relatively recently uh i mean maybe maybe f- five to ten years ago people in the security community thought they had a pretty good handle on password cracking and mm. how how hard or easy it is to uh you know, to to reverse the the encryption that's used, the hashing that's used in most operating systems. Um, so, if an attacker gets the hash, how do they actually determine what the original password was? People thought they understood that, but there have still been advances made in password cracking over the last few years. And and like these days, what what people in the security community tell you constitutes a good password looks completely different than what they told you just a few years ago Mm. yeah you know a few years ago they would say things like your password should be complex um and and have a lot of these crazy characters and um and these days uh there's been a lot more uh focus on length like it doesn't really matter how complex your password is if it's under a certain length it's it's owned right there there's a guy that's Steve Gibson, do you know him? Who does uh, he does um, Spinrite hardware, uh, hard drive utility and stuff like that? Oh, Anyways, okay. He he's a big security guy, and he wrote this password essay called Haystacks. This whole theory he had, which was all about length, and he's like, if you have one capital letter, one lowercase letter, and some numbers, and then even if you it's not that long, say it's ten characters long, if you then pad it with something. Anything, uh-huh. you know, he's like an example of you could put another 20 periods at the end of it. Right. You know? <laughs> or whatever it is that you choose is your thing that the length just multiplies astronomically. Of course, the the if you're going to do a brute force attack. Right. Um, 
and that that helps the situation more than a shorter, more complex password. You know? Right. And that's, um, that is absolutely true up until the point that the attacker realizes that you like to put 20 periods at the end of your password. Yes. You know, if yeah. there's a trend, yeah. a pattern like that, yeah. Um, yeah. the attackers have the ability to discern those patterns yeah. and and capitalize on them. They'll start cutting down the namespace or, you know, the numbers. The exactly. Thing, and then, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's fascinating. It's the same stuff. Did you ever read, I'm sure you've read all these cryptography books. Do you ever read, um, uh, the code book with Simon Singh? Oh, I've heard of it, but I have not read that one. You should read it. It's really yeah. great. And I, I met the guy and I actually got uh -huh. to play with his Enigma machine. Oh, uh, cool. Oh yeah. It was totally cool. <laughs> um, but it's funny. These are the same exact attacks that people were doing against the Enigma boxes in World War II. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. how can we take this thing that is four trillion and get it down to four billion or <laughs> right. four hundred billion? You know, right. Mm -hmm. However, but who knows that five years from now, some security researcher won't prove that actually having long passwords is a detriment for whatever reason. Right. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but we don't know. Yeah. So everyone has to keep up on this stuff, but your average person's not going to. It's it's true. You know, I think ultimately Siri is a really interesting thing on the, on the iPhone um, for a whole bunch of different reasons. And one obviously is is the fact that your the processing is going on somewhere other than your phone, and that that brings up all sorts of issues that we you know alluded to earlier. But sure. But in general, the the fact that we we are gaining this ability to interact with electronic devices in a in a way that is more similar to the way we interact with humans, um, I think that is ultimately uh, what is going to bridge the gap between kind of practical security and everyday use of technology, because you know we i can't i can't teach my grandma uh why why standards for password practices have changed this year versus next year versus the year after that right but when we interact with people all the time um in in real life we constantly unco unconsciously authenticate each other and you know i've known dan for a long time so i recognize his voice on Skype and I say, Oh, that's Dan. I, it would be very hard for somebody to spoof that for me. <laughs> yeah. True. And, and because he's a human and because I interact with him like a human, I can use my innate ability to authenticate him. And in the future, I think that we will use our innate ability to authenticate electronic devices and they will use similar sorts of abilities to authenticate us and we won't have to do things like passwords okay but the flip side of the double-edged sword of that is that then machines can track us even easier because that we don't need to they could just by our interaction with the things around us they're finding out where we are what we're doing what we're buying etc that's right? absolutely true so yeah, it's, it's kind of scary there. <laughs> man, you just you just can't win. I think that's the moral of the story. It's true, and th th there's another there's another layer of the security thing that I wanted to at least just bring up to the surface. 
um, which uh, we, we've been talking about sort of like um, uh, online-based security, which which can be, uh, what's the word, explained or assumed to be remote security, right? The, the threat from somebody who's not uh, who's not sitting right next to you. But there's a whole additional realm of security when physical proximity comes into effect. Sure. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, it's sort of like an assumed, I think it's, I, I, I assume this anyway, I assume that if somebody has physical access to your stuff, to your thing, if they have it, if they can walk up to your computer or if they can have, you know, have you, have you, have your phone in their hand or whatever, um, you're pretty, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do because there's always a way to, 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 to get your way in. Right. Um, if you touch it, you own it. Yeah. Technically. Like, I guess you could say that whole, you know, possession is nine tenths or whatever thing. Right. Um, but the real, the real scary thing that I at least just wanted to touch on, and this is something that kind of segues into it, some of the stuff that Mike has been involved in, um, is the gray area uh, thirty some odd feet <laughs> within the proximity uh-huh. of your of your device? Uh, and and of course I'm I'm talking about Bluetooth and, and other wireless stuff, right? Um, I mean more and more of our connectivity these days is wireless, um, especially obviously as as mobile phones become more and more our way that we interact mm-hmm. with the electronic world. Obviously, almost all of their interactivity or connectivity is wireless. And yeah, I was just going to say, it's interesting to me because Bluetooth, I almost always keep it turned off because I don't have any personal need for it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that 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 the Bluetooth, I mean, other than for headsets, it seems like everything is going over the cloud now as far as talking between devices. Do you think that's going to shift the other direction? I think it will shift the other direction a little bit in in particular I mean Bluetooth is never going to be uh an internet access technology that right. that will you know supplant Wi-Fi or or the yeah. cellular networks or anything like that but but we are going to see I think more and more small devices that use Bluetooth and obviously what most people know Bluetooth for is for headsets for their mobile phones. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people think that Bluetooth means headset. Huh. Um, you, you or, and I, I hear people use the word Bluetooth as a noun. Like I left my Bluetooth in my car. <laughs> That's cute, right? <laughs> um, but Bluetooth, of course, is is a wireless technology that is used for much more than just headsets. It's used for keyboards and mice on on desktop computers for example uh-huh. um it's used for all sorts of different uh portable devices it's it's used for like point of sale uh uh pin entry and credit card readers and things like that it's used for uh, a lot of new stuff that's coming out um we're going to see a lot more like uh personal personal digital devices that are things like uh, um healthcare Technology, uh, heart monitors, um, uh, pulse meters, things. Uh, there are there there are some watches, wrist watches that are coming out that that are basically like a little dis- little display that talks to your 
cell phone so you can leave your cell phone in your pocket and just glance at your watch to see who's calling you and that kind of stuff. Hmm, sure. Neat. Uh, so I think as more and more of these smaller um, smaller devices, personal devices become more popular, we're going to see uh, a pretty big upswing in Bluetooth and similar technologies, wireless technologies. Have the now like the new phones? A lot of them have Bluetooth four. Is that the new spec? Yes, Bluetooth four is the latest. Is is are there a lot? What are the advantages? Is it lower power? Yeah, uh, I mean there have been a whole bunch of different Bluetooth versions over the years, and and most devices that most people use are still using like Bluetooth two. Sure. Um, but in the Bluetooth four specification. Uh, they basically added on a completely separate um, Bluetooth physical layer. It's a it's a different wireless network that accomplishes similar things called Bluetooth Low Energy. And Bluetooth Low Energy is just a, kind of a variation of Bluetooth that uses a lot less power, so you get better battery life in these kinds of small devices. Hmm. Would would you say this new iteration, the new standard of Bluetooth, is any does, has it addressed security at all? Is it any more or less secure? Yes, actually, they have addressed security uh, in some interesting ways in Bluetooth Low Energy, and and this is, you know, keep in mind, Bluetooth Low Energy is is a brand new standard um, that hasn't been out for very long, and and devices that actually use Bluetooth Low Energy are just barely maybe hitting the street now uh, or soon so so today you might have a you might have a device like a phone that supports bluetooth plus bluetooth low energy maybe uh, but almost almost all devices that are bluetooth in the wild today do not support low energy yet mm, yeah uh, or if they do it's a it's just that they have a chipset that can theoretically do both but it but it may not but I, I have yet to see anyone actually using a blue, Bluetooth low energy in the wild, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but they have addressed security somewhat. They have kind of a whole new uh, system for for doing their authentication and encryption in Bluetooth low energy that didn't exist in the older Bluetooth spec. Hmm. And it isn't very well studied yet. Um, are the are the kinds of exploits that you have discovered in the old Bluetooth with those sorts of things st- still be uh, doable with this new one? Potentially, uh-huh. and the the biggest, I think the biggest holes are going to be where the new where the uh, the new methods that they use for authentication and, and encryption aren't used, hmm. and that's kind of been that's been a problem with bluetooth and a lot of other technologies for a long time is that uh you know there may be a standard for here's how if you're building a bluetooth device here's how you can do authentication and encryption but it's optional and (laughs) great so so like i have two bluetooth keyboards that are both made by logitech Mm -hmm. and if i plug one of them in and start typing on it it encrypts all my keystrokes over the air. If I plug the other one in and start typing on it, it doesn't encrypt all my keystrokes. When you say plug in, you mean, uh, you know, attach it, you know, 
whatever you want to call it, virtually plug it in, right? You're talking wirelessly. Right, right. Well, I plug in the, the little dongle into okay. a computer uh, and then, you know, type on the, the wireless keyboard. Gotcha. And now it's only a, a particular usage scenario in which this one doesn't use encryption, mm-hmm. but it's a very, it's a pretty common scenario. And there's nothing on the packaging to indicate that one of them uses encryption in that scenario and the other one doesn't. Mm. Um, and and you would never, ever know it unless you actually went through the effort of, you know, sniffing the traffic and mm. look checking for yourself. Now, what about the Apple Bluetooth keyboards? I'm guessing those so, are encrypted. <laughs> I know those, uh, those, I haven't come up with a scenario where they don't encrypt keystrokes. Oh, so they are encrypted. So that's a good thing. Uh, however, mm-hmm. um, I'm just however, saying because we, we have a lot of Macintosh uh, users listening, right? And I'm just you know they'd right. probably be curious about, hey, is my keyboard safe? Right. Well, you know that how there were the last time I looked at Apple uh, Bluetooth keyboards, there were there were two models. Mm-hmm. There was like the the three the three battery model and the two battery model. Oh, right, right. The, the, you're talking about the current generation, the little the non full sized one, the little baby one. Right. Yeah. Right. Like the 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 three battery model came out in like two thousand seven ish. Sounds right. And then the two battery model, I think, is still current. Yeah, I think you're. Wait, right. Do they look the same externally, Dan? Yes, they do. Okay, that's why people distinguish them by the number of batteries they take because you can't really tell otherwise. I just wish that the key, the wireless keyboard, was a full keyboard and not the tiny thing. Yeah, you you oh, and a lot yeah. of people, a lot of. People. I would kill for a full size, battery powered one. <sighs> Well, yeah. anyway. well, I wouldn't kill, but anyway, <laughs> well, continue. Mike. There, there are plenty from other other vendors. <laughs> I know, but, but they're not nice and small. <laughs> I thought you said you wanted a full size one. Dude. I want a full size one that's compact. You know. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> so the so the interesting thing that I noticed about the the Apple keyboards is uh-huh. that they do encrypt all the time, but they aren't necessarily very very picky about authenticating the devices that they're talking to, hmm. and. This may sound like kind of a subtle flaw, um, but for example, um, I I did an attack on a on the Apple wireless keyboard where uh, I was checking to see if I could uh, do a malicious firmware update over the air. Okay, what's a malicious so, firmware update? So, well, the, there's firmware running on on the keyboard itself. It has a little a little microprocessor in it that runs code mm-hmm. that does things like checks to see what key you press and s- transmits it over Bluetooth. Uh, so it's pretty simple firmware, um, but it it's code that executes actually on the keyboard, not on the computer that you're connected to. And you may have noticed if you use an Apple keyboard, whether it's wireless or not, um, that over the years, Apple has occasionally released a keyboard firmware update. Yeah, I've seen that before. Right. And so when you do that, when you when you install one of those firmware updates, you're actually downloading code from Apple and blowing it onto the keyboard itself. And that's where it lives. Mm-hmm. And that's where it executes. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to see... I, I had seen some research done by a guy named Kei Chen a couple of years ago who actually kind of reverse engineered that process just to see if he could blow if he could modify the, the firmware on a keyboard hmm. um, and he did things like and he, he was using the Apple wire wired keyboard 
mm-hmm. uh, the the USB one. Mm-hmm. And so he found out that yeah, it, it was actually not very hard to take one of these firmware update images from Apple and modify it with his own payload that would run on the keyboard hmm. and blow it and just if you can and so he has this whole sort of customized firmware updater on his laptop and so if you plugged in a USB uh, Apple keyboard into it it would blow his malicious firmware onto the keyboard and he could do things like like uh, key logging wow so the keyboard would actually keep a record of, say, for example, the first 100 keystrokes that you typed every morning. Huh. And then he could go back to that keyboard and extract that information later. Um, and I wanted to see if I could do the exact same thing with Bluetooth keyboards because when I saw him give a talk, he was saying, you know, he only targeted the USB keyboards, but but Apple has basically the same sort of firmware update process for their Bluetooth keyboards. So I thought, wow, maybe I can do the same kind of attack over the air. So I tried it, and it worked. Mm. Um, I can do like a literally a drive-by attack um, <laughs> where I where I install malicious firmware over the air onto an Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Wow. By, and, hanging, by hanging next to somebody's desk while they're at lunch. Right, right. Yeah. Or, you know, in or a coffee shop. Lot. Yeah, right. like at a Starbucks, you could probably own all the keyboards in that in a thirty foot radius, right? Exactly. Oh, scary. And, well, so the but the interesting thing was that I did the first test. Um, you know, the, these these keyboards use encryption, and so they they have kind of a a shared key. It's called a link key mm-hmm. that is shared between like the computer and the keyboard, and this is a secret that only those two devices know, and that's how they. They use that secret to set up their encryption, right? They also use that secret to authenticate each other. And when I tried this attack on a um, on the older three battery uh, keyboard, I couldn't execute the attack unless I had that link key. And so I had to do some other kind of attack to get the link key first, and <laughs> then I could execute the attack. But with the two-battery version, it yeah. didn't authenticate me. Oh. And I was able – that's where I was able to do the actual drive-by um, <laughs> because I could connect to any Apple Bluetooth keyboard without any authentication whatsoever and blow my own code onto it. Wow. <laughs> See, the, I guess the moral of the story is that nothing is absolutely secure. <laughs> so it's 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 how obsessive you want to get or how much your data means to you or how much you think people are going to spend the time to try to attack your data. It's definitely a matter of degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what makes it difficult. Gray areas are very hard. Right. And it's the same thing in the the in meat space, you know. Sure. It, people can defraud you. Mm-hmm. Um people can attack you. Yeah. Uh how many locks do you want to put on your door, and how big is that lock? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can have right. the, the heaviest, most secured yeah. door in the world, but guess how long it's going to take you to get in and out? <laughs> yeah, somebody just breaks in the window. Well, you know. well there's that, too. It makes, makes it harder for you to get in the front door, but... <laughs> exactly. There's, a, there's a, I think there's... I mean, Mike must have a great analogy for it, or a simple, more succinct way of saying it, but there's a delicate balance between security and convenience. Yeah. He, he, Mike only lives I in don't. meat space because, you know, it's... It's where he started. He, <laughs> he, I don't know about that. 
You don't know that I started there? It's, uh, yeah. Mike, Mike could be a robot for all we know. <laughs> Bill. You've never met Mike. It's true. <laughs> Although I drove right past his house, which is why I'm, I'm pissed that I didn't know that before. Oh, no worries. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was right up there by Red Rocks. You know, oh, yeah. Just a mat- like a week and a half ago. Yep. Uh, very pretty over there. It is. It is. So were you here probably just before it snowed? Uh, I was here just, I was there just before it snowed. We yeah. went over to Utah to Arches and then came back over the mountains. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we flew out the next day. And then I guess it started getting bad all of a sudden. Yeah, it was quite sudden. But the, uh, what else do we have on our list, Dan? We, we, did we cover a lot? I think we covered a lot. I just, I, I felt like it was, uh, it was important to have just to, just to sort of round, round everything out as far as, um, some of the stuff that people might not be aware of as far as security. You know, I, I think everybody knows about passwords and stuff, but I, I, I personally find the physical stuff uh, more interesting. Sure. Uh, just just because that's something you can actually see, and it's, it's you know. I, for one, I, am going to start using the Mutt browser. <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Mike? Email client. Email client. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mutt email client. <laughs> I recommend the it. browser. There you go. Nice. Um, is there anything else that you uh, you feel like you should want to add to uh, the conversation, Mike, um, before we wrap things up? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's been a pretty interesting conversation. And, it, you know, my, my area of interest is in particular kind of small uh, electronic devices and things like keyboards and uh, mobile phones. And and uh, I think that's the most interesting area of, of security research these days yeah uh because so much is changing and the way we interact with the digital world is changing very rapidly and it's becoming more personal and more in our pockets and more ubiquitous and and so so much of the the interesting stuff that's happening in the security world these days uh relates to mobile phones or or other small devices that are becoming a part of our lives and yet you are the person who doesn't check their email on their phone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I probably yeah. will once I actually uh, rebuild my OS. Okay. All right. I, that's fair. I just... <laughs> I thought it was fine. I agree with you that we're moving towards this wireless space. It's just that it seems like there's... That it's been owned by the carriers and by these, you know, big giant corporations like Apple and Google and it's very difficult difficult to go around them and 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 try to live sort of there's off the grid and now there needs to be a new kind of thing where you're online but you're off of the social net grid right right somebody needs to come up with a new statement or a new a new saying you know new analogy description yeah yeah because there there are people like you who are just like you know i don't go anywhere near that stuff and you know like um the government's got nothing on me you know, right. Kind of yeah. It's interesting. It's fascinating. And scary. Uh, I personally, for one, thank uh, you for coming on. That was, uh, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. This stuff. It is definitely. Well, thank you guys for having me. Sure. And we have somebody who knows what they're talking about, Dan. It's true. Uh, it's nice having people who know what they're talking about. I agree. I agree. And uh, and I really, I think we've we just like scraped the surface here too. I mean, Mike and oh, I God, yeah. have had many conversations uh, about this sort of stuff you know, and, 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 you know, really specific and really general stuff. And, uh, I don't know. I just figured I, since we were talking about it, it would be good to have him, uh, weigh in a little bit. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Thanks, guys. so next, 
week uh we'll well i don't know what we're doing yet i guess we'll find out next week yeah but before we before we wrap up let's give mike um a chance just real quick to mention any of uh you know do any promotion or plugging Oh, I can plug. You can plug your heart out, my plug friend. Away. Yeah, what 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 you got? <laughs> What's cooking? What do you want? What well, do you want people to know about. You know, I think last time I talked to you guys uh, about a year ago, I was talking about Project Ubertooth, right? Which which was my uh, Bluetooth sniffer that I was building. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've actually turned it into a company called Great Scott Gadgets, and Great it's now Scott. my fu- <laughs> yes, it's now my full time job. Um, so. I make hardware for hackers, and uh, and that's what I do now. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, if you uh, if you want to do things like like sniff Bluetooth and find out if your keyboard is using encryption or not, mm. and that kind of thing, um, then check it out, GraceScottGadgets.com. Sweet, and we'll put it in the show notes. And you can all, you also do some some tweeting now too, right? What's your what's your Twitter? Account? I do at Michael Osman. Two S's, two N's. Gotcha. Fantastic, and and we'll I think we'll put some uh, we'll put some links in our show notes as well, so people can we find will there. certainly do so. In fact, it's in the show notes. Amazing, cool. <laughs> Technology is a cool, wow. cool thing. <laughs> we live so in the fast. future. I know it's like the future. That's what happens when you uh, are on the internet, Mike. It's uh, you know when you use the Google Docs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not terribly secure, mind you. Sacrilege, no. but sure is convenient. <laughs> Now they know where you live. They have your URL. Uh, All right. Uh, If you want to get a hold of us or ask us any questions, you can find us at circuitous.tv. Email is circuitousconversations at gmail.com. Yep. I am at Bill Wadman on Twitter. Yep. You are at Dan Goddard on Twitter. Yep. And And, uh, uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Until next week. uh, I'll see you guys soon. Right on.